Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Michelotto. This is episode 103. And last week, Robert, we talked about 1952 and Dan McCarty becoming the first governor from Southern Florida. We'll just call it Southern Florida <laughs> instead of South Florida. Uh, first governor. Not, not North Florida. <laughs> right. He had beaten Braley Odom. In the Democratic runoff, Odom pioneered some uh, innovative campaigning, and Odom uh, was seeking to be the first governor from what we now call Central Florida. Now, you theoretically would say Spessard Holland was from was from uh, Spessard Holland was from Bartow, so that's Central Florida. But what we think of now as Central Florida, the Orlando metropolitan area, really Odom, of course, from uh, from Sanford, from Seminole County. So 1954, we have a special election for governor with Dan McCarty's death. And we've talked about this before. I guess, unfortunately, Robert, time and again, Charlie Johns is a subject on this podcast. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's amazing how many times we've mentioned this man that, um, you know, we, I think I think we could pride ourselves a little bit in the fact that we try very very hard not to be too overly critical of people we absolutely disdain, and I think I think we make it a point to waver that rule when we talk about Charlie Johns. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, oh. Lord Charlie John. Yes. But, um, so just to remind the listeners, he becomes the governor because he's the Senate <laughs> president, leader of the pork chop gang, uh, very uh, die in the world racist segregationist. He would later go on to great fame as uh, uh, as uh, the head of the uh, the Florida version of, of the House on American Activities Committee, or kind of the Joe McCarthy of Florida, uh, with the purple pamphlet and all that. This is before that, but he's already known as a as a as a devout segregation and someone who uh, uh, is the leader of the pork chop gang who was uh, who, who, who was working to undermine everything Dan McCarty had stood for in his life. So the irony is you go from McCarty and this euphoria and this kind of new Florida vision to, um, to, 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 to Johns. So Johns has two serious challengers for the Democratic primary, Leroy Collins, uh, from Tallahassee, who had been very, very close to McCarty, and Braley Odom, who we talked about in the last show, uh, from Central Florida. Uh, you know, none of these people are progressives per se, but Collins and Odom are both to what we would say the political left of Johns by some distance. So you have two guys vying for kind of the McCarty mantle, even though Odom had run against McCarty the previous time, and then they would they would take on Charlie Johns and. Uh, what happened is Johns led after the first primary, uh, after the primary, Collins was second, Odom was third. Collins and Odom weren't separated by very much, right? But Collins kind of won that primary, that sub-primary to take on Johns. Odom, uh, no bitterness, turns around and endorses Collins, knows what's best for the state. And then um, it gets really nasty uh, when it's Collins versus Johns straight up in the runoff. Yeah, so um, it, again, as we talked about in the last episode, um, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes maneuvering that was going on um, almost from the time after the morning of Dan McCarty was over when everybody was sort of seeing how grotesque 
of an acting governor they they had landed themselves with. Um, you know, he, he basically was taking a salary as both a governor and as Senate president. He didn't resign his Senate presidency, which is, you know, normally that is what you do in that situation. Um, and he um, technically he should have been acting governor, but he very clearly made it that he was going to be governor and he was listed as the next governor and, and all of that. So it was, it was pretty obvious that even though he had inherited the office of Dan McCarty, that thirst for Dan McCarty wasn't going away. And Leroy Collins, who had been desiring the governorship for, for a little bit, um, who was actually thinking about running for governor um, just a, a year earlier, who Right, he had deferred to Collins. I, I, I mean, he deferred to McCarty. I forgot to mention that. Go, yeah. go ahead. Um, was basically saying, you know, oh, I, I think this is my time. But Dan McCarty's little brother, um, who, you know, was, I, you would probably say, like his chief of staff, or, his, you know, he was basically his Robert Kennedy. He comes in and he says, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to run. I'm going to be the standard bearer for, for the McCarty family. And it was a, a bitter shadow primary that was taking place where it's, it surprised the younger McCarty that Collins didn't show the kind of uh, difference that he did to his older brother. Collins basically said, no, this is my time. You need to wait your turn. And it actually got to such a point where um, Ollie McCarty, the, the widow of Dan McCarty, had to publicly endorse Leroy Collins. And that basically ended that. So Dan McCarty's mantle was now no longer going to be challenged by a member of the McCarty family. As you mentioned, it was going to be Leroy Collins and Odin. Odin came back into the fray. And Odin was sort of going by that old rule that we talked about, run once, get known, run twice, win. And so he was now the, you would say, de facto shadow governor because he was the second place winner. And normally you can sort of track the whole trajectory of the Florida governorship. Second place winner goes on to become governor yes. nine times out of ten. So Leroy Collins, we know him now as the Floridian of the century, but it's important to remember he wasn't Leroy Collins back then. You know, he was a state senator from the north, from North Florida, which you know there was a lot of them. So you know, it wasn't as, as prevalent of a, or prestigious a position that you would imagine. And you better believe it, Charlie Johns did everything he could to make it very difficult for him and would start spreading a lot of rumors as he always did whenever he ran against somebody about Collins, about Odin, um, trying to sort of muddy, muddy the waters. It should be noted um, that to the, the great credit of both men, they went out of their way to sort of paint Johns as the the sort of common enemy from the very beginning, yes. and they didn't they didn't go after each other, so that when it came down to just the two men, Odom, which 
I would actually go so far to say that have there been lieutenant governor nominees on tickets back then, Collins would have picked Odom. Yeah. I'm almost certain of it. I mean, he did so much to help Collins, um, including open up a lot of doors in central Florida and the emerging Florida that Johns was sort of taking for granted. Johns' mindset was very much, um, you know, I'm going to politic in North Florida in the panhandle, and that's how I'm going to win because that's where all the votes are. Collins, like McCarty, like Odom, was seeing that there was a lot of transplants that were coming to the South that owed their their political expertise from New Deal bastions in Chicago and New York and upstate New York and all of these different places and the Rust Belt. And they were horrified that Charlie Johns was their governor. And, you know, many of these people, I mean, you would say that I would actually go so far as to say that 1954, um, that that special election was the first modern Florida election. Modern being in the sense that that was the first time that we had a very vibrant, uh, massive transplant population that was really starting to flex their political muscle in a way that was very surprising to North Floridians. And as we've mentioned, as we mentioned when we talked about Collins earlier in the show, um, Johns was hounded to do this um, television debate with Collins. And uh, eventually he agreed to it. But what he did was he ran this ad in the Miami Herald, you know, this huge ad, uh, basically making it look like it was a newspaper story <laughs> trashing <laughs> Collins's performance and saying, you know, oh, well, you got you got what was coming to you. You wanted to bait Charlie Johns. Well, Charlie Johns showed you. Um, only problem was uh, Charlie Johns was not, his campaign was not staffed by the brightest and, and the best. Um, and they actually ran this giant expensive ad the day before, or excuse me, the day of the debate. So there was this giant ad that looked like a newspaper story um, pronouncing Charlie Johns as the winner of a debate that hadn't taken place yet. And an ad, an aide to um, Collins gave it to him and he opened the debate basically poking fun at Charlie Johns. And at first, uh, you know, Leroy Collins, is, he comes off very quiet, very slow, seems like he's a little bit shy. Charlie Johns has this sort of Cheshire cat look on his face. And then slowly he sees the newspaper and then he sees the print. And, he, I mean, his face starts to melt. <laughs> and, and Collins. Collins nails him, and Johns very quickly denounces the ad and, and says, you know, oh, Leroy, you know I wouldn't do that to you. And, I mean, that is, that's one of the 
highlights of Florida political history is that two or three minutes because that was the debate basically. I mean, it was done. Johns was toast. And um, again, uh, it was one of those things too. Um, it almost, in a way, preordained that Johns would just by his governorship showcase that McCarty's victory was not some momentary stopgap for the old guard, that it wasn't going to be business as usual for the old guard, that there was a to, to really demand change. The issue at this point becomes Charlie John's, first of all, being devious, and then secondly, what more damage can he do uh, between the time the runoff occurs in July and November of 1954. And, and of course, the legislature was out of session. Thankfully, they were, they, they, they were able to mitigate the damage. Now, something interesting also happened in this election cycle, which is the first time we had what you might think of as a somewhat viable Republican candidate. Tom Watson, who had been the attorney general, had been a, a, a right-wing attorney general, a Democrat, who um, was a staunch, staunch segregationist, a racist, in fact. Uh, there's a difference, by the way, uh, and I know this, may, this nuance may be lost on a lot of people, and uh, yeah, I'm trying, I don't want to be too controversial here, but there's a difference between segregationists and racists. So, uh, and that's from a historical they're, perspective. They're, yeah. they're really, they're most certainly is. Yes. And I know yeah, the people on the not, left today may not see it that way, but 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 we're so not trying to come up with excuses or anything, but right. there, there, yeah. there is there is right. So you so so what we're talking about here is Leroy Collins is a segregationist, but a very mild segregationist, right? He's the, he's a minimal segregationist, as, and as we see as governor, as we've talked about in the episodes we've discussed him, uh, he fought very hard. To, to prevent the uh, extreme impulses of the legislature from, uh, from, from, from becoming law in Florida, and in fact, uh, uh, prevented Florida from going the same way as Alabama or Mississippi. Uh, so Watson is an attorney general, is the attorney general. He had been a right winger. He, uh, uh, he, 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 he supported the Taft-Hartley Act. He supported right to work laws. He was a guy who, when he had been in, in, in business in Tampa, in the cigar industry, had been a union buster. Uh, so uh, he was a, a, a one of the first Southern politicians to switch to the Republican Party, maybe the first prominent one after the Brown decision. So Brown, Brown v. Board of Education decision comes down and, um, and Watson switches parties and is the Republican nominee. There's no Republican party in Florida outside of maybe Pinellas County. So he wins the nomination easily to be the Republican nominee, uh, uh, but then uh, uh, passes away before the election. Uh, still gets 20% of the vote statewide. Uh, Collins gets 80, he gets 20. Uh, it was a very Democratic year. 54 was the year the Democrats recaptured the House and recaptured the Senate. And as we know, the Democrats wouldn't lose the U.S. House for another 40 years. I'm talking about the, the U.S. House. U.S. House and U.S. Senate are both flipped in the 54 elections. So very Democratic year, uh, two years into the Eisenhower administration. But Watson uh, gets 20% of the vote and is really the first viable Republican candidate, uh, even though he got 20% of the vote. He had actually died, as I said before, the, um, uh, 
the, the, the election. And then you see in the next couple elections, Robert, the Republican number begin to creep up. I think it was 27 or 28 percent in 56. And by the time you got to 60, uh, when Ferris Bryant was the Democratic nominee, it was up to 40 percent. And then eventually we get to 66 where the Republicans win the governorship. But um, this is the first election. And as I said, Watson was dead when uh, we didn't have early voting and all that stuff in those days. So uh, when when Floridians went to cast their ballot, they, 20 percent of them voted for a dead man because he was the Republican nominee. <laughs> uh, and and at that point, the Republican Party was becoming um, associated uh, with uh, with some degree of, 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 of hard, hard-edged racism, which would really take hold after the 1960 election. So the 1960 election, we talked about this before, Richard Nixon was actually uh, more pro-civil rights. And I, I, I was struck again, I just recently ran, read Adam Gentleson's book on the, fil- on the history of the filibuster. And uh, I had forgotten this. I read this in one of Robert Caro's books on Lyndon Johnson, right? That I, whichever, whichever one it was, the third or fourth book, right, in the series that Caro has dedicated uh, his entire life. Robert Caro has basically dedicated his entire life to researching and writing about Lyndon Johnson. Uh, but in one of the books, whichever book, The Master of the Senate, whichever number that was in the, in the, uh, in the series, where Nixon um, was, uh, was coordinating with the liberal senators, the most liberal Democratic senators who were pro-civil rights. Nixon, as the Senate president and vice president of the United States, was colluding with them against the Southern segregationists and against Lyndon Johnson, who at that time was more closely associated with the South and the Southern um, segregationists than with the civil rights causes he would advocate. And Nixon, ironically enough, 10 years later, would be the great champion of uh, uh, the segregationists. So uh, in the 1950s, the alignments were were the opposite. Nixon, as a national leader in the Republican Party, was working with liberal Democrats from northeastern and midwestern states, led by Paul Douglas from Illinois, a liberal Democrat from Illinois, to try and uh, 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 rule against... uh, uh, Southern filibuster. And what was at, qu- at question was the 1957 Civil Rights Act. So uh, in reality, Tom Watson was probably the first ele- a former elected official in the South to become a Republican. There were a few in Florida in the early 60s who began to switch. Tom Slade was one of them, the late Tom Slade, who uh, uh, was a Democratic state rep from Jacksonville and ended up becoming a Republican fairly early in the 1960s because of uh, uh, the race issue. Although ironically, by the time Slade became the chair of the um, Florida Republican Party and uh, ran for the chair of the RNC, he was the more liberal candidate on race. That's kind of where the Republican Party went in that period. So anyway, um, 1956 gubernatorial election, another important moment in Florida history. Thank you, Robert. And we'll be back with you again next week.